Hey, leaders, welcome back to the Ray Johnston Leadership Podcast. Sitting in as uh, your facilitator, your captain, co-captain. Yeah, I'm Brad Lominick. So glad you're along for the journey. And if you would, subscribe, rate, review, do all those things. Share this episode with a friend. And uh, you're going to enjoy this conversation that Ray had with Darius Daniels. And Darius is a pastor of Change Church in the New Jersey area. He also is a, a podcaster himself, the Darius Daniels Podcast, which I highly recommend you subscribe to, check it out anywhere you get your podcast. You're already listening to this one, so you're you're proving that you're a podcaster anyway. So go download, subscribe to Darius's podcast. He is uh, the author of a couple of books, most recently, Relational Intelligence, which is a great book on connection and uh, working with people, having people skills. Uh, Darius is a cultural architect. That's the way I like to describe him. He's a trendsetter. He's a cultural architect. He's he's a creative. He's a, an incredible communicator, a teacher. He speaks all over the country. He has a Bachelor of Arts degree in political science from Millsaps College in Jackson, Mississippi, a Master of Divinity from Princeton Theological Seminary. We've heard of Princeton and a doctorate. So we need to call him Dr. Darius. Doctorate of Ministry from Fuller Theological Seminary. He's a certified personal coach, and like I said, he speaks a lot. He uh, he's one of the great communicators, one of the best communicators, and I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation between him and Ray Johnston. So let's get to it. Get your moleskin out, buckle that seatbelt, and uh, let's let's lean in to learn from uh, Ray Johnston and Darius Daniels. Uh, hey, everybody, we're glad you joined us today for the Ray Johnson Leadership Podcast and webinar. Um, before we dive into an incredible interview with Darius Daniels, um, I want actually I want to have a conversation about something that's really important. There's a principle in sports talk radio called Overreaction Monday. And what happens is this. Um, Anytime a team wins, they overreact. They're going to the Super Bowl. If a team loses, um, they overreact, and it's time to fire everybody. And they actually call it Overreaction Monday. Um, When COVID hit, and I've been reading a lot of predictions about the future of the church, and it seems like for some reason, a lot of people that are trying to think about the future of church are in overreaction Monday. And I mean, it is everything from nothing's going to change, will be business usual, to on the other extreme, every single thing's going to change and give up ever even trying to restart your church. And uh, I can, I want to tell you my current thinking on this. And my current thinking on this is like most things, the truth is somewhere in the middle. And which means at some point, Disneyland is going to be open and packed with people. That will happen at some point in the future. The same thing would be true with churches at Bayside. We are not using the word reopening. We are using the word rebuilding because it's almost like we got to rebuild, relaunch the entire church. Um, And and there is a there's an organization that has come out with something to help on the other side of that, because prior to covid, almost all American churches were good at one thing, but not the other. They were good at attendance, but they were not good at engagement. And they measured success only by the number of people in the seats instead of the number of people engaged 
connecting, serving, being followed up, all of that kind of stuff. And, um, and so here's what I want to do. Occasionally, I run into something that is so good, it makes ministry better. And we actually use this at Bayside. So I want to recommend a resource that's going to help with this. And it's called Serve HQ. Okay. And the entire goal of these folks is to help churches get better, not at just attendance, but an actual engagement with people and really equipping and engaging the entire church. Okay. They have three resources and we use all three of these at Bayside. And the resources are this, they have a resource called Huddle Up, Trained Up and Follow Up. This is Brooke. Huddle Up is their resource, which you can do mass email, mass texting. They've got safe group chat for everybody in your ministry. And so they've got a whole thing. Basically, that is designed just to engage people. Okay. They have a second resource called Trained Up. And that resource offers online classes for new members, new volunteers, and developing leaders. We are actually getting, we are starting a conversation about this. I interviewed Levi Luskell, and you'll see that in a couple of weeks. And they are doing something massively successful in their church. They are offering an online membership class for people to connect to and join their church who've never been to the physical plant. A brilliant idea. Okay? The trained up section will help you offer classes like that for people that maybe have never even met you or people that have been attending but have never engaged. And the third one is this as follow-up, which is automating next steps for new volunteers, new guests, and new members. And folks, during this crazy season, SurveyHQ is a great organization, and I actually think it's helping us at Bayside get better at engaging. Or another way to put this is this. There are most churches that are going to have a great future are going to have to get better at the 167. That's a magic number. There are 168 hours in the week. The American church spends insane amount of resources on one hour getting people in a worship service, okay? Imagine what could happen to our people, our impact on them, the gospel, and equipping and engaging them if we access the 167. Serve HQ is a great resource for helping you make that happen. Uh, we actually put a link to this on our base on our Bayside Thrive website. So you can go there and check that out. Um, it's just occasionally I run into something where I go, this may help people get better at the stuff that most of us need to get better at. We just need a little help on that road. So that'll be good. Um, the uh, second thing I want to let you know is this. Um, there are currently all kinds of COVID changes um, I'm actually getting ready to go on to a local TV program to talk about the Supreme Court decision and how that impacts the churches. And if you're wondering what we are doing at Bayside, our campuses are doing different things at Bayside, but our response has been the same thing. Our goal is just like Costco and every other place that is viewed as essential is they have figured out a way to give people options to be in their building and keep them safe at the same time. Our church is doing the same exact thing. We are giving people options for worship, for spiritual health, 
and wholeness that is essential and working like crazy to keep them safe at the same time. And more information about that is available. Just go to our website. And now I am thrilled to dive into what's next. I just had an incredible conversation with Darius Daniels. Um, if you're if you're not driving, get out a pen and take some notes. This guy is a live wire. One of my favorite people I've had a conversation with in a long time. So we are so glad you're with us today. These are tough times, and I hope today is a major encouragement to you. So God bless. So Darius, where'd you grow up? Kill Michael, Mississippi. Okay. So that's it's uh it's really. Central Mississippi. It's halfway between Jackson, Mississippi, and Memphis, Tennessee. Yep. So my dad pastored a church in Starkville, Mississippi, which okay. is where Mississippi State is, which is not too far from where we were. So that's that's literally where I grew up until I went to college, which I went to college in Jackson, Mississippi. Yep. The um and then how did you end up in ministry? So as I said, my dad was a pastor, yep. uh, uncle pastor, and I had no interest in ministry, I was actually going to law school. And um, so my undergrad major is political science. But when I started studying political uh, theory, a lot of your political theorists were like theologians. So I'm studying Aquinas and all of these people. And at the same time, I just, I was 19 years old, just kind of felt this sense that God was calling me to use my life to do something else. I fought, I fought it for about two years. Finally, my senior year, I just kind of yielded and made the decision like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. Cause my dad, like I said, pastor rural Mississippi, he, at times he was bivocational when he shouldn't bivocation, when he wasn't bivocational, he probably should have been because of it's just rural. So it was just really yeah. tough financially, you know, yep. to, to, to yep. sustain us. And so I just, he always wanted me to be in a position to provide for my family and, and, and to do better. And, um, so when I told him about my call to ministry, he was excited and yet worried at the same time. But my senior year, I just yielded and um, yeah, went to, ended up going to seminary, you know, the whole nine yards. And here we are. It's funny. I know a lot of guys whose dads were pastors and I always felt like they are about 10 years ahead of everybody else. Just because wow. you know stuff that you can't learn unless you've seen, I mean, you were up close mm. Is there something where you went, man, my dad, just what, like if you said, what one thing did your dad model where you're going, this has been a big deal to me too? Listen, 1000%. I remember this. I can't even remember, right? I can't remember how old I was. I know I was old enough not to be interested in ministry, <laughs> but I remember he had just built this building. They just went through this building campaign and he had just built this building in Starville, Mississippi on Highway 82. And, um, it was the building dedication ceremony. There was a, there were pastors in his office from the area and one pastor asked him, I don't know why I even cared, but one pastor asked him this question. He said, if you had to do this all over again, what would you do? He said, I would have built the church before I built the building. Brilliant. And that stuck out to me then. And when I got into pastoral ministry, that philosophy really drove the way I prioritize certain things in ministry. Build the church before you build the building, build the church before you expand the, before you launch another campus. But it, it just, it stuck with me. And I, and I think out of all the things that I've heard and saw from him, that's probably the most impactful. It just really, the importance of, 
priorities. Absolutely. Boy, that is good. You know, it's funny. when we launched Bayside 25 years ago, our church, our church launched because of two copycat suicided teenagers in this town. And mm. we launched and um, we started meeting at a, we started meeting at elementary school, blew through that, moved to a high school. And for about 10 years, we never had a building. And we mm. actually, at one point, we had, we had some, we had some people from the nearby church start coming to our church. So I called their pastor, took them out to lunch and said, man, I do not want your people coming to my church. Mm-hmm. And he said, he said the exact opposite. He said, we built a building first. We can't afford a youth pastor. Mm-hmm. He said, mm-hmm. our teenagers are having to go to your church. And I said, can we like share youth ministries and help you f- help fund one for you? Yeah. So we tried to take some steps in that direction. But it, it, your dad's a wise man. It was smart to learn that early. We, we were pretty much the same thing. We're going, you build people then, and mm-hmm. they will build ministries and then that will build the building. Yes. They, um, 100%. And, and so we were, but it was, we, at one point we were in seven services in three different locations every weekend in one church. I mean, it was insane. So our, <laughs> matter of fact, our setup people were like, they our setup people were ready to pay for the whole church. <laughs> what, See, we got what, it. What do we need to do? Right. What check do you need so I can <laughs> stop doing this? So hey, you're you're on the East Coast. Ton of our folks are on the West Coast, man. Tell first of all, tell us about yourself a little bit and change church. Sure. So great name. Yep, born and raised Mississippi. Father's a pastor. Went to college in Jackson, Mississippi at Millsaps College. I played basketball there. Huge basketball fan growing up. My dad actually taught me how to play basketball. Uh, Obviously, I talk about my dad a lot. He, besides Jesus, the single most formative figure in my life was my father. Wow. And uh, however, I mean, I always loved him and we were close. Um, He was a pastor, but I never felt pressured by him to be anything other than a teenager. That's cool. I... He was he was a pastor, but I never felt like I had to be filtered around him. So some of the conversations I had with him as a teenager would probably startle, you know, yep. uh, you know, it may, may, may have started the average parent. But he always was poker faced. And no matter what I told him, he didn't manage me in a way that made me hesitant or reticent to, to come back to him again. And so yep. anyway just kind of like my number one supporter instilled this belief in me that I could really do anything. Now that sounds platitudinous and cliche-ish, but it isn't. Kill Michael, Mississippi population is like 630 people. There's no stoplights. It's really, really small town. You don't really get out, if you know what I mean. Like people just kind of get caught in that cycle. I never felt like I couldn't. And um, so anyway, I went to Millsaps College, played basketball there, felt since this call to ministry, and I was going to law school and I started looking at seminaries where I could go to law school and seminary at the same time. So I looked at Emory in Atlanta. I looked at Duke. I looked at and a number of different places, but I just felt like I didn't feel at peace with it. I knew, felt very strongly God wanted me to use my life to serve him. So by the time I finally made the decision to do it, I was a senior in college. So when everybody else was getting acceptance letters and job offers, I was finally, I was just applying to seminaries. Yep. So one of my professors named Darby Ray, at Millsaps College, she made me apply to three schools. And so um, I applied to uh, one in Oklahoma. I applied to Vanderbilt. I applied to ORU, Vanderbilt, and Princeton. Princeton was kind of default because she made me apply to three. ORU didn't let me in. Vanderbilt gave me a 75% scholarship. ORU did not let you in. That's Can I tell you a story about that? Okay, so 
Yeah. So uh, ORU didn't accept me. Vanderbilt gave me a 75% scholarship because I applied so late, all that money was given away. So I couldn't afford the, the other 25%. And then the next week I got word from Princeton. I, I had a full ride. I could go there for free. So that's why I ended up at Princeton. So um, I applied there because there was a friend of mine that I knew that went there. And when Darby Ray had made me to apply to three schools, I was like, well, Stephen went to Princeton. Let me just put this on here. But I really want to go to ORU. And if not, I'm going to go to Nashville because it's, it's close to home and yep. um, et cetera. So, but let me tell you this, uh, let me tell you this RU story. Okay. So I was speaking in Tulsa a, a few years ago and th- this church was like right across the street from, <laughs> from RU. And so I'm getting up and I'm telling the story. I was like, you know what? I, I wanted to go to school here, but RU didn't let me in. And so people start laughing or whatever. I was like, so I just went to Princeton instead. So people are laughing. I go back to the green room and the pastor tells me, he says, Darius, I say, what? He says, the president of ORU is sitting on the front row. <laughs> you just hey, I was like, oh, my bad. Darius, everybody's got an ORU story. Mine is the um, years ago when Oral Roberts made that famous statement, you know, we need whatever it was, $8 million or God's going to call me home. Yeah. The next week I spoke in Tulsa and I got to Tulsa and all these bumper stickers had already been printed that said, keep your money, send oral home. (laughs) (laughs) And the problem is this, there were five professors from ORU in the audience that day and they all came and we had, we grabbed lunch and I said to them, I said, um, hey, I was trying to figure out how do I bring this up? And I said, hey, you guys have been in the news a lot lately. And they all looked at the ground and said, well, yeah, but not all of us. And, and by the time I was done talking to these professors, I went, these are world class, God honoring, great, smart. Yeah. People. And yeah. that is a fabulous place to get an education. Yeah. And, uh, yep. and so. God had other plans for me. I mean, I, it was, it was, I, I mean, I really feel like obviously it was God. Yes. Um, and uh, my professors felt like I kind of needed to go in a different direction and it, and it worked out, you know, for me. So I, I said it really in jest, but when I made that statement when I was there, but um, my experience at Princeton was great, formative, and I don't think I would be where I am if it wasn't for just some of the experiences I had there. Yep, that's cool. Let me ask you some God stuff. We have a lot of leaders listening to this, man, and this has been one crazy year for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, and it's interesting. We are almost to the tipping point right now where more people are dying from COVID restrictions than COVID itself. Mm-hmm. And um, like our county, the county I'm in, the suicides are 10% ahead of COVID deaths. Mm. It's that bad. Mm-hmm. And, and pastors, and it's almost like you can't win. I mean, if you're a pastor, mm-hmm. uh, you, you say, wear a mask, you got people mad at you. Mm-hmm. You say, we're going to meet, you got people mad at you. I mean, pastors are playing. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Matter of fact, the, I just was, I'm in touch with some search organizations and they are having a record year. They're saying the amount of pastors quitting right now is, is wow. at an all-time high. It is record pastors quitting, which means you want to make some money, start a search organization right yeah. now. And, yeah. and what would you say to discouraged pastors? Well, this is one of the things that I would say is, I would say I'm sorry. Yeah. I would say I know it's hard. Yeah. Um, I would say I don't have any platitudes for you. Um. I would say, thank you 
for serving in what is, I think, for me, the most uncertain, disruptive period of my lifetime. So that's that's the first thing that I would say. Secondly, I would say this, that I think this is also at the same time an opportunity. And it is an opportunity, first of all, to evaluate whether or not we've been carrying God weight in ministry. Hmm. So all the weight we carry is not ours to carry. Some weight God gave us, other weight we picked up. And I think this is an opportunity for us to really recognize our limitations what we have control over and what we don't and to allow God to really be God when it comes to the welfare, the well-being, the future of our church. I think a lot of our stress and angst is trying to preserve, protect, um, maintain this expression of church that many of us have spent our entire lives building. Yeah. Because I think we unconsciously assume that my joy, my peace, my effectiveness is all tied to that model in that way. But I do think this is an opportunity for us to allow God to show us how to reinvent, how to reimagine, and then how to redistribute weight that we've been carrying, stress that, that we have as a result of that. We need to redistribute that weight and give some of that back to God and just accept, I'm going to do the best I can with what I got in this season because this is an unprecedented season. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just You just can't expect to do the same things in the midst of a global pandemic <laughs> that you could before. So I, I, I really, I really I, man, I wish pastors would give themselves a break as, as, yep. as best as they could. Yep. And, and so, when I say give themselves a break, not a break, I mean, they may need a literal break, but I mean by that, this undue pressure we put on ourselves. You know, by the way, that's brilliant, man. We have been doing this for six months every week. Nobody's said what you just said. Um, mm. We had a lot of people listening to this and they're going, man, I am beat up. I am worn down. I am carrying God weight. And if they were able to have, a cup of coffee with you. And and they just said, Darius, help me get this off. Mm -hmm. What would you tell them to do? Well, one of the first things I would say is this is, do you love your mission more than your model? That's going to be my first question practically, right? Because some of the weight we're carrying is because of an attachment to a model. I think that's going to be the, that's going to be the first thing. I mean, obviously we would talk about spiritual disciplines and all of that, but I kind of feel like when you're asking that question, like for me as a pastor, I kind of want to hear not, I mean, I need to tend to my soul, but I think as a pastor, I want to hear a little bit more than that. So that's why I'm going practical. I don't want people to think that's not important, but I just kind of want to go, you know, practical here. And that is, yep. um, yeah, that'll be the first thing. Like, hey, let's examine whether or not um, your model that you're carrying in this season is creating undue and unnecessary um, pressure for you and unrealistic expectations 
of yourself and of your church. Um, and the reason that I say that is I'm not saying to abandon that model, but I am saying you may need to get creative and revisit it in this season until things become more um, predictable for you. Yep. And you can develop a model that is aligned with that is aligned with reality right now. This is we're like in the midst of like a suspended reality, like things are not what they were, but we know they aren't going to be this way forever. So to develop a permanent model in a season like this may be a bit unwise if you're in a part of the country where you can't kind of go back to old models. So um, that would be the first thing that I would say, hey, let's evaluate this and where kind of can you pivot? Where can you streamline? Um, So that's going to be the first thing. And the second thing that I would say is it's going to be this. It's because I think, I think stuff like this not only exposes our models, Pastor, it exposes our team and whether or not we have weight bearers on our team. One of the things that Jethro told Moses when, so I think a biblical model of leadership is team leadership. And I don't say that, I'm not like advocating for egalitarianism because I don't, I don't land there. I think somebody needs to land a plane. So I think God's appoints, yeah. <laughs> appoints leaders, right? So we're equal in value, not equal in authority. That's that's where I am. But the point is this. The point that I'm making is when Jethro gives Moses instruction on a healthier way. So Moses, Moses is burned out because he's operating with a leadership model that is not relevant for, appropriate for the time and season that he was in. He's like, listen, these people are out of Egypt. They're in the midst of the wilderness. You got all of these people coming to you. This model where you singularly are carrying all of this weight, it doesn't work. So he says, you need to shift. But then as he talks about this whole idea of delegation, I'm not just talking about delegation of tasks. Many leaders do that. This is what Jethro says that I think is so unique. He says, these people are going to bear the burden with you, not just do tasks for you. They're going to bear the burden with you. And so I think, in seasons like this, you've got to identify the people on the team who have broad shoulders, even if they don't have big titles. Yep. So it could be an it could be someone in administration. It could, it could be someone that may that may not necessarily have roles of authority. The question is, who can I really lean on and depend on to help me carry weight in this season? Um. Because everyone, and a lot of the weight is thinking weight, right? This is kind of what it is. We're not, we aren't, we aren't really doing a lot in this season, but this is like the return of the thought leader. You got to, you got to think differently now. And so who are like some of my best thinking partners are not always people who are necessarily carrying leadership titles. It's just people that I just think can help bear some of that weight. So that's going to be really important because if not trying to navigate mentally on how to, uh, on, on how to strategize. If you're trying to do that by yourself, I think that's going to create undue and unnecessary weight, unnecessary weight and uh, pressure for you. And then the third and final thing I would tell the guy is, listen, it's important in this season to establish replenishment disciplines. Prior to COVID, I'm sure you had disciplines for rest, Sabbath, vacations, et cetera. I'm sure you had practices of recreation, things that you did that just brought you joy and fun. Yeah, when you're carrying weight like this, it's important to identify 
what are going to be the disciplines I put in my life to replenish me emotionally and spiritually because you're being depleted in a way that I think you've been depleted uniquely. So you've got to replenish yourself intentionally. So what does that look like for you spiritually? And what does that look like for you emotionally in terms of who are the people that you just enjoy being with that fill you up? You got to carve out time for those people now because that's not just for your enjoyment. That's for your sanity. Yeah. And by the way, like you're I answered your question. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> by the way, this is brilliant. You know, it's funny. Taking notes. The um, Hey, if you're listening to this, I, I want to throw this in. The If we can pastor you off for a second. Um, I'm an old guy. Darius is a young guy. Um, he looks young enough to be going off to college. Um, this is huge because every stress expert out there basically says destruction in your life happens when your challenges are above your support level. Mm. In other words, every toxic mm. emotion you felt every time you quit, um, inappropriate stress relief that leads into sin and disaster mm-hmm. all happens when your challenges are greater than your support. So even yesterday I was going into a whole bunch of challenging situations. I called a bunch of buddies of mine the night before and we hung out in the guy's backyard, made a fire. The, um, I called four guys and we hung out to lunch and I was good to go. Yep. And I mean, is it just, you know, the, and, and, and if some of your, which pretty much means evidently looking at me, man, you never get too old to need support. You never get too mm-hmm. successful to need support, man, because your so stress level is going to, it's all about keeping your support level above your challenge level. And right now we're in the most challenging times and anybody's ever known. Yeah. So. Well, Pastor, you know, one thing that I really feel like this was something that God brought to my mind and I even shared it with our team once, once we were kind of in, I don't know, a couple of months into COVID. And, and that is this, that if we believe, which I do, right, no matter how, no matter what iteration of this, you know, you kind of express based on what your tribe is. If you believe that God is sovereign, whatever that means to you, yeah. then he's sovereign and he's strategic in the time in human history he called you to leadership. So great men and women are born for the time they're needed most. Yep. If I am leading in the midst of COVID, I was born to lead in the midst of COVID because God needed my leadership in another era. He would have put me in another one. So I I also just kind of want to throw that into, you know, to encourage a pastor, a leader. It may not feel like it. And I think most of, if you're like me, you feel like you don't know what you're doing, but we were born for this. Yep. And um, and somehow, some way, God's going to give us the grace and the ingenuity and the creativity and the wisdom to navigate us and those that we serve through it. Yeah. Man, if you're a leader, you're hearing this stuff going, all right, The um, sometimes all I needed was to hear something like this. And all of a sudden, your soul gets set free and you're better than you were before. Um, Darius, you have a podcast. So here's a setup question because I would like everybody listening to go subscribe to it. Because if you're saying this kind of stuff, I don't take notes on very many people. You're saying this kind of stuff. What's the title of your podcast? 
Well, it's called the Darius Daniels Podcast, and it's it's conversations. We call it Conversations for Your Transformation. It's on faith, life, and and culture. So it's um, I enjoy doing it. You know, I really do. We've got all sorts of guests. We try to address all sorts of topics, and um, it's uh, really something that I find fulfilling. I think it's really a passion project more than anything else. <laughs> you know, we get some feedback from it. I'm not quite. You know, so I got measurables on how many people are downloading it, but it's really a passion, passion project for me. And I hope it's helping people. That's cool. Give me a, give me a couple examples, like a couple guests where you went, man, this was brilliant and helpful and smart. Okay. I'm going to give you one. This is one of my favorites. I enjoy, I enjoy everyone I invite and I learn from everyone I invite. I don't invite people I don't learn from. I wouldn't want to learn from. I just had Henry Cloud. Oh, so we did too. Did you? you? This guy going, the smartest human being on the planet. And he, he was just like, yep. just, just a fountain. Yes. And, and, he, and I found out he's from Mississippi. He's from Vicksburg, Mississippi. Yep. <laughs> so anyway, um, you know, we were talking about his book, Boundaries for Leaders, and this one phrase that I feel like um, just, I don't know, just every time I hear it, it rocks me. As a leader, you get what you create or what you allow. (laughs) You get what you create or what you allow. And that is like every time you kind of get ready to complain or slide into a leadership pity pity party, uh, for me, at least that phrase kind of comes to my mind. He's, he's one of my favorite, he's one of my favorite guests. Um, I'm going to tell you, if people haven't um, heard this one, I think he was the first guest on my podcast this year. Rich Wilkerson? Yeah. Good guy. He was really, I mean, Rich is always good, but he was really kind of, my terminology, he was in his bag. He was, (laughs) he he really just just like practical ways to kind of manage a mind that can kind of go rampant with negative thinking and negative thoughts. It was one of the most practical talks that I feel like I've ever been exposed to on kind of what to do in terms of mind management. So that, that was really good too. But I mean, so so many guests, Nona Jones, she's great. I, I, um, it was, um, I did one with this executive coach named Delataro McNeil. He was phenomenal. Chad Veach on leadership. Yeah, he was great. Also, so yeah, all types of people, all sorts of subjects. Yeah, that is cool. Let me ask you a question: uh, Relational intelligence is a big deal to you. It is. Yes, it is. You just wrote a book on that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Why did you write it, and what do you hope people get from it? So I wrote it very simply because I saw in my personal life and in my pastoral leadership, people's greatest joy and greatest pain was coming from the same place: relationships. Hmm. I hmm. saw pastorally at end of life situations, people never ask for, yeah. like, so they're, they're in the hospital passing away. They never ask for the thing they spent their whole life working for. They always ask for people. Yeah. I've never been, I've never been in a hospital room and someone said, can you show me a picture of my car? They always ask where such and such. And so what you ask for into the life situations is really, I think, a revelation of what you really value. So for me, this is what I saw. I saw it's possible 
for us to recognize how important relationships are, but not in, uh, intentionally align our life that way. And many people, when something is so important to your well-being, like relationships, I don't think you can afford to be unintentional and unintelligent in the way that you manage them. Yeah. And uh, many people manage relationships emotionally. And I'm not saying your emotions shouldn't be in the car. I'm just saying they shouldn't drive. If the heart is deceitful, mm -hmm. as Jeremiah says, like your feelings, just because our feelings are real, doesn't mean they're they're right. And um, so this whole idea of relational intelligence is really an encouragement from people to explore the way the greatest and the wisest person on earth manage his relationships, Jesus. Let's extract those principles, apply those principles to our life so that we don't give the least to the people that matter to us the most. Everybody in life has equal value. Everybody does not add equal value to you. Oh, that's good. That's good. Um, the, I got I want to talk about communication for a second. Sure. We got a lot of people listen to this are communicators, either in business ministry or whatever. Okay. If somebody's listening to this going, man, you are a really strong communicator. That's always developed. What would you tell a man? I want to be a better communicator. Coach me. Well, I think, well, thank you for that. I'm trying. I mean, I don't know. I think, I think we're all our hardest critic. <laughs> Which one is thing, good. Yeah, one thing, my, I am passionate about it. I can't give you the passion because my passion for it came out of my pain. I mean, just, just being honest. So I mentioned my experience in college. When I was 19 years old, I went through, it wasn't chemical, but I went through a situational depression. So just a series of events I went through, things weren't going well. And I just found myself like hard to get out of bed, couldn't focus, et cetera. And my friend invited me to this, this little church um, in Jackson, Mississippi. And I went and it was, I think like a Tuesday night Bible study. And uh, pastor, I would go in there and it'd be like 12 people maybe. Yeah, but it's this guy named Keith Quinn who taught it. Hmm. And it was 12 people. And he would teach like it was 12,000. He was prepared. Yeah. He was ready. You saw scribbling in his Bible, scribbling in his notebook every single week. Oh, that's good. And I was in, I would be so low when I got there, but I'd be so full when I left. And I didn't, because I was so low, I didn't believe what he was saying initially. All the things he said God was going to do and you're going to be okay, blah, 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 blah. But I believed he believed it. I believed he believed I wasn't convinced, but I was convinced he was convinced. So I kept coming because my hope was one day I could believe him like he did. And it just happened for me. And so in that moment, I was 19 years old. My calling got a little clearer. And I said what Keith Quinn was to me. I want to spend the rest of my life being to other people. Good. Good. I will. I want to rock their world with my words. Yep. And that became my passion for communication. I started not just reading the Bible, started studying the dictionary because in communication words are your weapons. Yep. I started studying, you know, communicators. I mean, some people listen to this pastor, they're not going to know anything about cassette tapes. Oh, <laughs> they, they don't know anything about that. They just know <laughs> MP3s. They don't know cassette tapes. They don't know VHS. And okay. so, yeah, some of some of the greatest, you know, speakers, I would buy cassette tapes. And so I remember Tony Evans had a broadcast 
that came on the radio every morning. So yep. I would listen to him every morning driving the class and um, would buy cassette tapes of all types of speakers and would learn certain yep. things. And like I saw certain guys had a way with words and sticky statements. And, and so I just kind of dedicated my life to that. And so this is what I would tell. One thing I would tell a person who's like, I want to be a better communicator. But that's the passion. Here's one practice, I think, that may serve you well. It's this. Remember, people don't remember sermons. Right. They remember stories and they remember statements. Yep. So be strategic with your stories. Yep. And be sticky with your statements. What's a sticky statement? It's taking a thought and phrasing it in a way. That's good. That people can remember. That's good. Does that make sense? So Absolutely. So for me, that's that's kind of my two cent in terms of yep. what I feel like I could offer. Good. Okay, so I just listened to a sermon of yours. Yes. And we were talking about it before. And um, give us one minute of that and why it was such a big deal to you. The I didn't see it coming? Yes, I didn't see it coming. Yeah. And you just dropped your son off. <laughs> I, was like, I didn't see a lot of that coming. A lot of that coming. Yeah. Yep. So here, here's the heart that there are a number of different words we can use to describe God. Uh, but in some sense, one word I feel like that's often overlooked is the word unpredictable. And when I say unpredictable, I'm not saying like he's inconsistent in his character. His character is consistent. Yep. I'm saying you can't predict his activity. Yep. That's um, right. And so as a, you know, so there's sometimes he may come and, you know, Jairus' daughter, he went and Jesus went and healed immediately. Lazarus, he waited till he was dead four days. There are times where he touched people and then there are times where people touched him, you know. So the point that I'm making is there's no inconsistency in his character, but there is unpredictability in his activity. So with that being the case, there are going to be things in life that surprise you. Like Here's the key. Yeah. Here's the key. The quality of your life is going to be determined by how you handle things you didn't see coming. It's really, it's, it's, that, it's that simple. And you do that by recognizing just because you're surprised doesn't mean you're not prepared. God was That's getting it. you ready That's for it. what That's you didn't it. see coming when you didn't know it. Yep. Oh, that is good. Um, I want to ask a question about change church. Sure. One of my concerns, I was an atheist growing up. I had no use for the church. Talked a guy yeah. out of being a Christian when I was 18, which <laughs> is not good on the pastor's resume. <laughs> and, and thought the church was irrelevant. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, most of them are irrelevant to, to their community to the point where you shut the doors to most churches, the community doesn't know they're gone. Mm -hmm. That would not be true of your place. Um, hope not the, what are you guys doing to build bridges to your community? So, um, well, one, thank you for saying that. And that is, that's, that's my prayer. And, the, and that's something that I share with our congregation from time to time. If we close our doors and the community doesn't panic, bingo. Yep. If they don't not just miss us, if word gets out there, we're closing our doors and the community. And when I say the community, not just the people in it, but the organizations that serve it. Yep. If they don't panic, if the, if the police department doesn't say what, 
Mm-hmm. You know, if, if some of the homeless shelters don't say what, yep. then we did not faithfully and fruitfully carry out our assignment there. So um, this is this is one of the things that I feel like is really important for us. And our mantra is this, and this is our mission. We want to help as many people as possible change their life so that they can change their world. That's good. So we want our members to be missionaries to the community. So it's a twofold approach. So we want them to build bridges organically, like independent of association and affiliation with our church. We want you to be a missionary to culture. You don't have to wait for us to mobilize you to serve, to serve. If your family wants to spend Thanksgiving morning uh, before you eat serving at Catholic Charities, you should do that. If there's something unique that burdens your heart in terms of a need in the community, that isn't always for you to bring that to the church and put the onus of the church to meet that need. God may have put that on your heart as a missionary to the community for you to do that. So we want people to do that organically, but then also organizationally, what we want to do is this. We want to, and we believe this is contextual. So, you know, I'm not a guy, I'm not going to front, right? There's some, of, I got friends, like one of my friends is in the inner city of Philadelphia. He's right. He's in the inner city. He's in the midst of it. We serve the inner city, but we aren't doing work like he's doing work the yep. same way. So some of the needs are different based on where we've got locations. Yep. So one of the things that we want to do is we want to assess those needs right. and then figure out how does the gospel answer some of those issues and what contribution do we feel like God's calling us to make? So in some areas we've seen like, okay, there's a high presence of single moms with children with not a lot of male interaction, mentorship, et cetera. So in one of those locations, we kind of started a mentorship program, Mm -hmm. but we got another location where that's not necessarily the dynamic of that community. So we didn't replicate that. But in that community, I'll give you another. And in the same community where we felt like, where we saw that disproportionate amount of fathers in homes, we also saw how the schools were underfunded. So when we adopted those schools, a lot of the contribution that we made was financial. Well, another place where we got a campus, there wasn't necessarily issues with fathers, you know, not being in, in the home, right? But, and there weren't necessarily issues with schools being underfunded, but schools did need support, not in terms of financial resources, but human resources in terms of carrying out some of the programs that they wanted to carry out. So one place needed money, another place needed people. And so what we try to do is exegete the context first. And then decide what is the best way for us to serve this context, Um, because we've tried some of the same things and it just based on the location of our churches in different locations, it just doesn't work. So that's that's the way we're trying to build bridges there. Man, that is good. You know, it's funny is that you're speaking our language now. I mean, my world got rocked and so did our church 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. I, I was with 
eight guys in Newport Beach because it's always God's will to go to Newport Beach. And I was actually <laughs> been there I, before. I agree. I've been there good, once. Yeah. Matter of fact, let's have dinner. I'll buy. <laughs> We're we got these eight guys, and I'm there with them to mentor them. One of these guys leads a Bible study in the living room in the morning on Acts two, mm. and he says, "And I have never recovered." He said selling their possessions and goods they gave to anybody who had needs. And he just walks up to a board and he writes down, he writes down, evidently the early church started with good deeds. Mm. Two verses later, it says they had favor with God and all the people. Yeah. He wrote down, evidently their good need deeds led to good will. Yeah. Which the American church does not have in any yeah. sense. Yeah. And the very next verse says the Lord added the number daily those who are being saved. And he wrote down good news. And I literally sat there and I looked at that good deeds leading to goodwill, which lead to good news. And at that point, our church was the fastest growing church on the West Coast, north of L.A. Mm. And I literally sat there ashamed. I went, I am doing this all wrong, man. I mean, we are delivering the good news without good deeds. There's mm -hmm. no goodwill. And I called our staff together. We retaught it. And I went, wow. I don't care if it wrecks our church. Yeah. We, have, we have got to get this right. Yeah. And you're already there, man. For us, it, it required almost a conversion, you know, mm. to the way we did ministry. And, um, and so, but it was, it, I mean, if, and pastor, man, if, if you're not there yet, all the life comes when you make that thing. I mean, I was afraid we'd lose our church and, mm. um, but I went, some things are worth it. And yeah. so for me, that's been really good. Hey, I got one last question for you. Sure. Um, it, this would be unique to Bayside a little bit, but it's nationwide. Um, we have the most, we have the most relationally diverse senior pastor staff in the nation, which I view as a really great thing. Okay? I also view it as one of the more challenging things because we got people all over the map politically and, um, and Christians these days have been the most divided and the most divisive I have ever seen. Yes. Jesus prayed we'd be one. I mean, I don't see that brilliant answer very often. Yeah. Um, what would you say to people on both sides of the political spectrum? Uh, so this is going to, this is going to be the first thing I would say. And um, you asked me, so I'm going here. It would be this. Uh, is your version or iteration of Christianity more American than it is biblical? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. Christianity is not indigenous to any people group or any part of the country. So elements of the cultural context it finds itself in is going to influence the expression of Christianity. So I'm not denying that. So, so, right. So if Christ, if you, if you, if you're a Christian in Singapore, they're going to be elements of that. Your expression of Christianity in some way is going to, uh, is going to reveal and demonstrate that you're in Singapore. I get that. So I'm not, I'm not anti that at all. I think the polarization that we see in America yep. is because we cannot, uh, it's, it's almost like our uh, American Partisan lens yep. affects the way we actually interpret the Bible as opposed to allowing the Bible to influence the way 
we actually address social issues. So see you, it's, it's hard to have a conversation with a Christian about a social issue without getting a partisan talking point. That's right. Let's me know that the country people are in and the party they are influenced by is influencing the way they read the Bible and establish biblical priorities. Right. As opposed to allowing the Bible in itself to reform and to reframe the way people look at these partisan issues. Now, let, let me let me I want to give you an example of what I mean uh, by this. Like there's <clears throat> like there's a difference between on both sides of the aisle. A word comes up justice. Both sides of the aisle. Yep. Well, here's my question on either side of the aisle. The question is, is your justice symbolic or substantive? Because the justice that the Bible speaks of, which is the outcome of justice, justice is the outcome of actually the golden rule, the great commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. When you do that, the outcome of that is justice, right? Which is equitable treatment for all. So here's the issue. There will be people who are shouting at each other (laughs) from different sides of the aisles about justice issues. And then if you ask, you say, okay, so you for this issue. All right, get it. What did you do about this issue besides vote? That's right. Does that make sense? It's like, have you adopted anybody? Do you support orphanages? Does your church support an orphanage? Do you have an orphanage? Do you support single mothers? Oh, you say, you say you're for this. You say you're for helping the poor. What are you doing besides, you know, telling the government to give money? Yep. Are, are are you investing in the in the poor? Are, are you are you helping people? Because to shout at each other from both sides of the aisle requires nothing of you. Jesus models. Jesus tells us right. um, in Luke ten with the parable of the Good Samaritan. He shows and reveals to us what love looks like. Substantive justice. This guy stopped. The Good Samaritan stopped. And he did his love required something of him. And yep. so I kind of feel like the fact that we are screaming at each other from both sides of the aisle um, is kind of an indication that our partisan perspectives have shaped our Christianity more than we've allowed the Christianity of the Bible to actually shape our perspectives. And so I kind of, I kind of, you know, um, I, I, I don't know. I'm there. I'm not quite sure what to do with that. I have been wrestling with that because some of what I see, uh, it just, it, it kind of bothers me as a Christian. And I see it's an, evangel- it's an evangelistic obstacle, at least in my context. Like, um, it's just really hard to convince people to become a part of a family that looks like they always fight. Yeah. 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 So yeah, that's smart. That's smart. I know I said a lot, but that's no, no, no. You know, what's funny. It's probably the beginning of a conversation. I mean, yeah, I'd love to do a part two on just this topic. Yeah. Because if the church ever gets this right, we will be the only people getting it right. Yes. And that there's it was funny. Speaking of Henry Cloud. I don't know if did did he talk at all with you about the um, the only time in the Bible God was afraid? He did not. No, I've never heard him talk about that. Actually, genius. He said, 
Um, he said, the only time in the Bible, he said, he said it's, God was afraid. He said, he looked down and he went, the people's hearts were bent on doing evil. Mm. And he said, and they were coming yes. together. And he said, God was so afraid that they would unify that Tower of Babel went. He zapped them all so they couldn't speak each other's language or understand or hear each other. Great. That took all their power away. And Henry made a great time. He said, because he said, when there's unity, there's unstoppable power. Yeah. And I actually think the unity that's in the book of Acts, we got the power that's in the book of Acts. Well, if the church could ever get our theology above our sociology, Yes. Our theology above our politics. Yeah. Number one is you're never, you're never going to feel fully at home in either political party because the Bible right. is going to attack them at some point. Right. And then that kind of unity, though, it would be unstoppable. Pastor, you know, I'm not trying to over-spiritualize this, but it seems like at least in this country, there has been, this is going to sound so super spiritual to people, but it is a conviction of mine. It's an observation of mine, at least. It seems like that there has been an attack on that unity oh, yeah. since the inception of Christianity in this country. Yep. Right. And um, I think anyone looking at the history of Christianity in this com- country has to be objectively. You're probably going to have to. I mean, it's, that's something to consider. There has been an attack on that unit. So whether it was slavery, whether it was segregation and, and Jim Crow, whatever the reasons for this divide, it, in one way or another, there seems to be like the enemy seems to be really, really yeah. intentional and relentless yeah. in this area, which is an indication of how important it is must be for us to get this right. And um, Pastor, I think it's going to require something. This It's going to make a large part of the, the Christian community uncomfortable because it means that, um, I'm going to say this, it means that I think some in the dominant culture must be willing to learn from some who are not. I think those, this is really important. I asked a lot of my friends um, recently who went to Bible college seminary. I said, did you answer this for me? I said, in all your time in Bible college and seminary, did you read anybody that wasn't your color? And they were like, no. I said, did you read anyone that wasn't a man? And they say it very rarely. I said, well, can you see why? there are parts of American Christianity's theology, specifically in the area of justice, is underdeveloped. Because there's a whole nother, a a completely different part of the body of Christ that could add value in that area, who historically in practice got the justice part right, Dr. King and others. And um, I said, kind of, there's gotta be a, a mutual learning and gleaning from each other. And um, that just historically hasn't happened. And and until that happens, I don't feel like we're going to get the robust, comprehensive, full picture um, of scripture. Because I feel like some of that should be done in community. That that needs to take place to actually put our theology above our sociology. I think that's, that's really key. That's really important. And I, I think 
I don't think it's intentional, but I think unconsciously uh, people have, they've got a little issue with that. Oh yeah. I was with a guy yesterday. I was so impressed with this guy. He, um, he reads his Bible on his iPad and every verse that he didn't like that he felt like he needed to obey. He had highlighted just those verses. (laughs) And I went, I went, this is, I actually think, uh, first of all, I agree with you. This is going to be hard. Uh, But at some point it has to happen. The, I think, as a matter of fact, we should have a second conversation at some point. They, I'm convinced it, it won't happen without relational connection. Now, one of our yeah. pastors, Jason Kane, who is a great guy. Um, matter of fact, you remind me. Um, the, just a great guy. Jason Kane said something at our Thrive Conference. He said, he said proximity leads to empathy, which leads to unity. Mm-hmm. And I went, the problem is, man, we just don't have proximity. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And, and I thought, I thought, if that ever happens and we're smart about ditching all the code words mm-hmm. and, and we have substantive conversations about what it means to unleash the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. the, you know, like, for example, I've got folks that look like me. Mm-hmm and are very right and they don't like the word social justice because they think it's code for socialism and oh. so well, i don't think you know in other words and there's wow. all this stuff wow. it's almost like you gotta throw all this garbage away and yeah. and, and these people these wow. people, these people and and the problem is i'm having these conversations with them because i'm going hey wait a second the greater sacramento region we got churches everywhere yeah. we've shut our churches down and rented golden one arena twice to raise money to rehab inner city churches. Okay. Yeah. We have never had to rehab a church in the suburbs. Not one. They all great. Yeah. The, um, in other words, something here is wrong. Something's broken. Yeah. And, and if you look like me, the odds are your educational opportunities and the quality of your school materials and everything else, the quality of all that kind of stuff it is much better then somebody go up my community that looks like you. I mean, at some point we're going, if I'm a Christian and we care that everybody has equal opportunity to thrive, yeah. no matter what their race, address, or economic condition is, they, I mean, you would think Jesus would be very interested in that happening because he created everyone, every single person. Yeah. I would, go so, I, would, I would go so far to say that, um, that something that you said I don't even think it's just a good strategy. I think what you said in terms of proximity, it's a necessity yeah. because as much as I have these conversations and I have them a lot, um, even the way you just framed the way some people interpret, yeah, like the phrase social justice was really inspiring to me. Now, some people still uh, are, are, are simply even, are, are just going to be antagonistic toward it for a number of different reasons, but the proximity piece that you just mentioned is so, so important because once I understand the way someone interprets something, it changes the way I explain it. Does that make sense? Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Like, yeah. Like I I use words that, that clarify at least to those that that have a genuine interest in learning. Right. I use words that actually clarify what I mean, 
so that people aren't reading something that I'm not writing. And so I think a lot of, I think a lot of that is, is, um, is happening and we don't even know it's happening. Cause I know if that was news to me and when I tell you, I'm having these conversations a lot. Um, and if that's news to me, I know there's so much more that's, that would be in in the same category. Yeah. And I think if you're right, the proximity thing's massive and start, it's funny. We, we did a huge deal. Um, we found out there was 300 kids in the city of Sacramento that when school shut down, they weren't getting educated because they didn't, they had no Chromebooks, no nothing. That's right. We ran to the same thing. Yeah. We got 3000 people on a zoom call mm. uh, and raised a quarter million dollars in, I think 13 minutes. Wow. Got every one of those kids, Chromebooks, Wi-Fi hotspots paid for their Wi-Fi for a year, all of this kind of stuff. Wow. Okay? The, um, the next day, one of our guys calls me and this guy looks like he's a white guy lives up here, looks like me. And he said, he said, I swear to check for 10 grand because I care about this stuff. Mm-hmm. And he goes, and then he goes, I felt like I got a, I, he said, I felt like I got called for being a racist just for being white. Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, I, and I went, it was at that moment I went, oh, this is going to be really hard. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's really what's that's really what's unfortunate, because you do have you've got two groups that are having these conversations. Right. right. So you've got you've got those kind of in a Christian context who are having this conversation. Then you've got those from a cultural perspective who are having these justice conversations. And some of the words that are being used are the same. And some of the perspectives are like kind of infiltrating. One, there's not been enough theological unpacking of some of this, right? So let's just take, let's just take what your friend experienced. So I've been doing a lot. I've been doing a lot in this area. And so I've been seeing some of that and I'm just like, uh, so for a person to be upset with, ashamed of their race is to say to God, you made a mistake in making me this way. It devalues the image of God in, in no matter what a person's ethnicity is to assign guilt to them. Now, you could say you, you may have been a beneficiary of, of this, but to assign guilt to anyone yeah. based on their race is not a Christian concept. But what happens is if a Christian is more influenced in their in their social ethic by culture than the actual Bible, then you'll have Christians who are perpetuating some of that same jargon. And this is what you're doing with a guy like that. You're alienating allies. That's right. Just what you don't, which is what you don't want to do on either side of the, the, of the issue. Right. There may be people that, that rightfully are that way, but you, 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 I, 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 I'm, I'm almost at a uh, loss for words with that. Cause I've just seen that happen so much and it is over a result. and over and it's a discipleship over. problem within the church. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a huge discipleship problem. Um, we just don't have a healthy theology of justice. And so people just, um, a, a Christian just shouldn't say that with, with anyone. Yeah. You know, what's funny is I think we might have, 
We better wrap this up. This is too fun, man. The, um, I was told you were a great guy to talk to. They, they were right. The, um, we, we, um, we don't have a healthy theology of justice. I think our theology of justice is better than our theology of sacrifice. I don't think American <laughs> Christians have any theology of sacrifice whatsoever, even though it's central to the gospel. And mm-hmm. so the thought that I would sacrifice for mm-hmm. somebody else is a foreign thought to America. Yeah. But I think it's the only way anything's fundamentally ever going to get better. Yeah, well, it's Christian is what it is. I mean, early. Yes. That's what Jesus did. That's right. <laughs> right. And we kind of called no about him. Yeah. 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 It's, no it's fundamentally Christian. I'm, I'm with you on that. Yep. Hey, I got one last question for you. A lot of people listen to this. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to, I mean, people, I'm assuming you're going to go straight to Gary's podcast to get all the back issues. I'm also assuming you're going to read the book of relational intelligence and then go build some proximity to people that don't look like you. Um, but the, you get, man, you're on the, you're on the front lines right now of stuff going on. How can people be praying for you? You know, a few things. One is, um, I think my most, my most dominant prayer request, most important prayer request that comes to my mind right now is wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want the wisdom of God. I, I, I want the wisdom of God as it relates to, um, I want to make sure I never value what God has done more than why he's done it. Yep. Right. So I, I don't want to value any influence more than the reason he gave it to me. Uh, and so I'm conscious of that, but I always want people praying for me about that. Cause I never want that to be the case. Yeah. I want to love why God gave me whatever he gave me more than why he gave it to me. It's that, that Esther mentality. Yeah. Like I don't love this palace more than your purpose for it. And so mm-hmm. that that's one. And then two, um, you know, pastor every, I think every pastor needs to identify a pastoral model that you feel now watch this models are unique. So you're not, you're not going to find one that just exactly aligns with you. but one that's in the family of what you kind of feel called to do. And so for me, I am clear that, uh, you know, my inspirations are Moody's, Martin Lloyd-Jones, Spurgeon's, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's, E.V. Hills, men who faithfully serve local churches, but did not just lead organizations. They led people in their thinking. Spurgeon's yep. dead, yep. but he left his mind with us. We are still benefit. Yep. We, we, we benefit not from the buildings he built, but the words that he, he left us. And so that's my pastoral model in that sense. It's not just to lead an organization, but to lead people in their thinking. And so I, I, I want wisdom in that area. So that when I'm speaking into an issue, I'm speaking into it using wisdom and I'm leading people to a viewpoint and a vantage point that is faithful to scripture um, and align with God's intent for their lives and for, for his church. And so as I attempt to tackle some of these issues, whether it's a theology of justice 
um, whether it's consumerism, like the consumerism that's infiltrated American Christianity to the degree that we treat church like a vendor of religious services. Like no matter what it is, I just, I just want the wisdom of God in terms of the insight that God would give me and then the way that it needs to be articulated. So I think, I, yeah. I think that's, um, that's probably top of the list. That's good. Well, you ever write a book on having a mission greater than the, your model? Somebody needs to basically say, here's the complete mission of the church. Yeah. Because the church right. has part of it, but yeah. we're missing some of the stuff we've talked about. That's right. I'll be, I'll, I, I want an autographed copy. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. Hey, so my, my last question is the most important. Here we go. All right. All right. Uh, you played basketball in college. So did I. I got to assume you're a whole lot better than I was. The, um, what pro sports teams are your teams? Philadelphia 76 is number one. I'm sorry. Well, okay, man, I'm so hey, disappointed. Hey, is Embiid going to be there or is he gone? Um, is he their future? I don't, I hope he's our future. I don't think he is. I think he's going to be, he seems a bit temperamental. Yeah. I love his personality. He seems a bit temperamental. So I think he may want well, out. I hope he stays freaky, freaky talented. Like he Listen, could dominate. He's Elijah Wanish. Absolutely. He's that good. Yep. Yep. So I'm a 76ers basketball all day long. So I I love the Sixers. Oh, that's cool. Okay. Uh, Baseball. Braves. I've been a Brave since John Smoltz, Greg Maddox, Greg Maddox, Chipper Jones. I'm old school, uh, old school Braves fan. I was, I can't believe, let's not talk about this year. All right. We don't know how we blew Hey, I am a lifelong Dodger fan, man. This is a good year. I was at, I was at Koufax's first no-hitter. Really? Oh, yeah. Man, this is before eight tracks have been invented, baby. Wow. Yeah, so it was pretty cool. All right, football. San Francisco 49ers. Oh, good man. Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, Tom Rathman, Brent Jones, um, Roger Craig, Ronnie Lott, John Taylor. Oh, I'm my old gosh. school. Yeah. Uh, yeah well, to, we got the same team on that one. Good yeah. job. I, li- I, and I like Kyle Shanahan for us. Yep. I like, we just, we got a rough year with injuries, but I, I like him for us. I think yep. he's, I think, I think he's the right fit for us right now. Yep. Have you met, uh, he's a defensive lineman, Eric Armstead? No, I haven't. Oh, he's a Bayside guy. Okay. It's, it's dad's on our board. And I mean, a world-class family. Mom's a worship leader. And yeah. I mean, they are legit. So that's cool. Hey, we better get out of here. Thanks a lot, my friend. If you're ever on the West Coast and you want to go to a Niner game, let us know. We'll hook you up. Will do. All right, buddy. Hey, thanks so much. Hey, that was Darius Daniels. Um, Great being with him. Go grab his stuff, people. And Darius, have a good day, man. Thanks. Thanks again to Darius. You you can find him online, DariusDaniels.com. And that's D-H-A-R-I-U-S, Daniels. Com. You can also follow him on social media and uh, go download and listen, subscribe to his podcast. It's really good. He has uh, a number of people that uh, are on this podcast, also on his podcast. So uh, thanks again to him for joining us on this episode of the Ray Johnston Leadership Podcast. And as we always say, we want you to be a thriving leader and a healthy leader that's leading a thriving church 
And that's our goal. Thanks, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for allowing us to uh, to jump into your world for a few minutes here. Hope you hope you've gotten better over the last several minutes as you've listened. And uh, you can find this interview as well in video form at thriveconference.org. Along with all the past episodes, go back and listen to several previous episodes. If you're brand new to the Ray Johnson Leadership Podcast, there's a number of great interviews. Just uh, obviously find it on your podcast app and go back and binge all of those other all of those other episodes. It'll help you out. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you on the next episode of the Ray Johnston Leadership Podcast.